Welcome back to Now, a series of podcasts where we celebrate all things related to the variously compiled world of pop. In the company of some wonderful guests, we open up gatefold vinyl sleeves, unfold cassette inlays, slip out CD booklets, and explore how our favourite compilation albums have shaped our lives and now fondly stand as time capsules for our own pop culture journeys. And join in with me, Ian, and the Back to Now social community across Twitter, Facebook, Substack and Instagram by searching for the Pop Rambler pages. Joining me for this episode is Lee Thompson. Lee is currently working with the teams on the now 70s, 80s and 90s music channels, curating charts and shows for them. He's also authored last year's official charts music quiz book to mark the 70th anniversary of the official chart company. He was the head of music at the Box Video Music Channel uh, between spring 2001 and February 2004. Lee, welcome back to now. It's lovely to be back. I can't believe it's nearly two years since we did this. It's absolutely crazy, but uh, yeah. So you have been incredibly busy recently. The Now TV channels are wonderful. Oh, good. Thank you very much. I will pass that on to all the... All the I say I say all the team. There's only really kind of sort of four or five of us that uh, put it together. But the guy who heads it all up is... Um, is a guy called Simon Sadler, who used to produce the Top 40 show for Bruno in the 90s. I work with Simon, and Simon was my first boss in 2001 when this album came out. I always like when the Now 80s channel does a No album all the way through. Mm. Every track from, if they're available, always says on the captions. That's that's, that's what it comes down to. Sometimes there weren't videos for particular tracks and things. But yeah, I mean, that's such such an easy thing to do for for us, kind of just get the the 30, 40 tracks or whatever it is from that particular album and just play them all back to back. And yeah, it's great. Simon was telling me the other day, he's he's just moved house and um, the local barber, heard Simon's voice, and Simon does some of the voiceover bits in between the shows now on the channel. And the guy, this guy who's like in his 20s or 30s or whatever, recognised Simon's voice and go, are you the guy that does the things on the now? And he went, yeah. He said, oh, my God, I love those channels. And, I, you know, I've never seen this video before, and I love it when you do this. So you get feedback all the time. It's lovely. It's really, really lovely. The Now 70s channel, some of those videos you really haven't seen but it was it was an idea about three years ago. Simon and I sat down. Simon said, "Do you think we have enough material to do a seventies music channel?" So uh, you know, kind of sourcing the stuff's been a, a, a real sort of labour of love for for everyone involved to try and get you know the clips of those things. But you're right. I mean, some of them are just hilarious and and you know and bad, really really bad because they they made them. I think a lot of these clips were made you know studio performances done literally in half an hour of some spare studio time somewhere the classic example being the Elton John and Kiki D don't go breaking my heart video that you know was filmed at Thames television in a 30 minute break um when you know a studio was available and they dragged them in and they filmed this thing and it's now an iconic clip you know that was kind of the start of it all but yeah I mean the ABBA clips are great. The Queen clips are great. A lot of the Elton John stuff's good. And, of course, they're kind of remastering a lot of this stuff now as well. When uh, they see numbers really kind of racking up on YouTube, they kind of go, oh, well, should we go and remaster this? It might, you know, might be worth actually you know, making an HD version or upscaling it or whatever. And when sitting next to Edison Lighthouse or Tony Orlando... <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, they're good clips, and uh, yeah, and congratulations on the chart book, uh, the chart music quiz book. Yes, that was that was that was a lot of fun to do. That was that was literally Martin Talbot, the official charts company. He said, um, "We're thinking of putting a book together for the 70th anniversary. We've never done an official quiz book before. Would you be interested in writing some content for it?" 
didn't think that would then mean, would you write a 288-page book in 10 weeks? Yeah, so you remember last summer when it was 38 degrees? I was sitting in this little office where I am now, writing that book and putting that together and researching it all and checking the chart positions and all that kind of thing. So real labour of love and, and great fun to do. And it's still available on Amazon, folks, if you, if you want to buy a copy of it. We welcome Lee back to the Back to Now podcast. Lee has chosen to go back to the end of 2001, now 50, uh, released on the 19th of November 2001. Let's first of all put 2001 in context for you then, Lee. What was life like then? I had been working in radio and I'd been working in radio for the EMAP group who owned a lot of stations kind of in the north of England. So they looked after Viking, which is where I was in Hull, but they also looked after Metro in Newcastle, TFM in uh, uh, Teesside and the biggies, you know, a key one of three in Manchester, Radio City in Liverpool, uh, Hallam in Sheffield, Air in Leeds, all these big iconic commercial radio stations up north. The girl who I started with the same week at Viking was a girl called Shirley Rennick. By 1999 into 2000, EMAP had basically taken over the box TV music channels. The guy who was in charge was a guy called Tim Schoonmaker. And Tim had this idea that uh, what he wanted to do was to take all of EMAP's commercial brands. So they had Smash Hits, they had Kiss Radio Station, they had Kerrang! Magazine, they had Q Magazine, etc. And Tim was like, if we buy the box, how about we take all of those brands and actually do spin-off channels as well? Mm -hmm. So within a few months, this kind of plan was sort of hatching. I was working with Shirley, who'd now left to run these channels. She was now the, the MD of these channels down in London. Hi, we're here today, and, and you're, you're on the box. Smash it, you control. <laughs> I got a call. We want somebody to come down to London for six months to cover this music role at the box. Unbeknownst to me. So I'm thinking I'm coming down to London for, to work for six months at this maternity cover. They already had it scoped out that I was going to be head of music during the launch of these new channels. So during the first week that I was there, they launched QTV, and then we launched Kerrang! TV, and we had a Kiss, which had just launched. We were going to launch... Uh, a few more channels as well. Magic was another one they were going to do, obviously, for their uh, spin-off radio brand. And then later down the line, about a year later, uh, the Freeview slot came up and mm. they launched the Hits as a as a, as a TV music channel, uh, which became like the number one music channel within six weeks. It just We just took everything that we'd learned from all of those other channels and just applied it to the Hits. Mm. So it was, a, it was an amazing time for me. It was just incredible. I was learning all this stuff about, you know, the London music industry and getting plugged every day and every week and getting offline versions of videos on a Friday to then be considered for the playlist meeting on a Tuesday to then kind of make and break hits. I mean, it was just extraordinary. And, and, and it's such, looking back, such an exciting time. We had an absolute blast. 2001, to some of us, doesn't seem that long ago. I was reading something somewhere recently. That's quite vague, wasn't it? I'm reading something recently. <laughs> it was saying that um, the kind of current TikTok generation now look back incredibly fondly at that period because it was <laughs> pre-social media, almost pre-internet, although we remember the dial-up tone. Uh, There's no YouTube. There's no YouTube either, you know. So if you want to see music videos, if you want to see your favourite bands or artists, 
you know that the box will have those premieres on a Friday afternoon. So when you get home from school or college at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, you stick on the box and they've got every new music video that you want. And of course, the box model at the time was that there'd be a three-digit code in the bottom left-hand, bottom right-hand corner that came up, scrolled across the screen. You ring a premium rate call, one pound per call, to get your favourite video. We would look at all of the data and all of the facts and and numbers that came through over the weekend, and that's how we compiled the box chart for the following week, which then went out to record companies, then went out to the guys at Woolies who were seeing, okay, so you put that video on six weeks up front, Okay, well, there's, there's, that's definitely building there. That looks like something that we might take a hundred thousand copies of in three weeks' time or whatever. And mm. that's how you know that's how the whole system yeah. was working. You'd then get a slot on CD UK after that, and it, it, to be part of all of that, looking back on it, it's crazy. You know, it's absolutely crazy just how influential the channel was and and, and what we were doing at the time is incredible, really. It was incredibly fast moving. And you mentioned the official chart companies earlier on, Martin Talbot's wonderful books. Hmm. So many of the singles that were number one in 2001 went in at number one or peaked at a number within the chart and dropped. Because there was such a chart frenzy. Hyped up, I suppose, by, as you say, the, you know, the high streets and TV oh, completely. Because you remember, Woolies would have their own chart. Woolies would have their mm. own made-up yep. chart, which was which was basically, you know, labels were kind of paying for positions on Woolies' chart. You know, wanted to be seen in the top ten. Then you, you know, you you look on the back of Smash It, or you look on the back of Heat magazine, and there'd be a full-page Woolies ad for effectively next week's number one, whatever the big song yeah, yeah. was for that particular week. It was an incredible, like I say, an incredible time looking back and, and something that I don't think could ever be ever be replicated again, really, when you think oh, about no. it. And I don't know if you've read Michael Craig's book. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. I've got it right behind me, actually. It's, yeah. just, it's just wonderful. I mean, we're so... I mean, I've got a few quotes in there. So you do, actually, yeah, because I was, I was scribbling, I thought, yeah, I could, and actually when I was reading it, I thought I could hear you saying that. Well, I, I did a chat with Michael, like when he was doing the research for the book, we must have chatted for about an hour, an hour and a half, and uh, and yeah, just traded stories and stuff, and he's, he's pulled out a couple of good ones in there, the, the one about five having a fist fight outside a Mexican restaurant in Hull when I was at Viking. Yeah, because when I went back to revisit this album, having read Michael's book, everything starts to fall into place. I, right. I, I would actually say as well, I probably came back to some of the artists with a slightly different viewpoint. Oh. And Michael said that. I mean, that was that was his thing on writing the book. You can be quite dismissive of some of the bands and artists at the time, but when you read some of the trials and tribulations and the hell they were going through, really, you know, kind of on the promotional trail, you do see them in a different light, absolutely. Something that also came to, you know, kind of I was reminded of from Michael Craig's book was the sheer panic that a number four single could bring to a board. I, 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 at the time, would have regular meetings with people at record labels and I'd pop in because the box was based in Mapping House, which is just off Oxford Street in uh, in London. Literally, you are three minutes walk away from Sony's uh, building, which was on Great Marlborough Street at the time. So I'd pop in and see the TV pluggers there. And I remember they would say, you know, it's top 10 or nothing. It's like if your single is not in the top 10, Within six weeks, chances are you're going to be dropped. We might try a second single, blah, 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 but it's top 10 or nothing. And I remember one of their acts, who shall remain nameless, uh, going in at number 11 on its first week, and they basically were dropped the following day. It almost makes you think that if Netflix had been around back then, we all you know, we all watched the Lewis Capaldi documentary. Superb, isn't it? Yeah. And, 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 just, and I would recommend that to anybody. Oh, yeah, it's it's just utterly incredible. But to see the way you know the record company now handle 
artists, there was a whole different complex of how artists and pop stars were treated back at that time. Well, I'll tell you what's extraordinary. You look back at uh, something like Heat magazine. I was looking at a, a, an issue of Heat magazine from 2002 quite recently. Uh, and I was looking at it through the eyes of, of, of somebody who's literally in their early 20s. And they said, did they really get away with that? And the thing they were looking at was a, was a double-page spread on Jenny Oliver's other half, uh, Jules, mm. who was out, I think she was out either in a supermarket just in her jogging pants and, uh, you know, and, a, and a T-shirt. I mean, this, this two-page article photo spread was literally just ripping into her and you just think oh yeah there was absolutely no care or attention for any kind of you know mental health issues in any of this and that was absolutely manifested with with what was going on at record companies and and the acts that they signed the promo trails that they put them on still going out and doing 35 commercial radio stations over the space of like four days or whatever all of these things you know it's kind of like if you're if you're not part of that whole promo thing you're not doing cd uk on a saturday morning you're not spending an hour and a half messing around with that and deck before you do cd uk <laughs> on uh you know smtv all of that kind of stuff everybody was in that promotional zone and it's kind of that's how records were sold that's how bands and artists were promoted and due care and attention when it came to mental health Zero, I would say, probably in most cases. So if you are listening to this podcast and you appear on Now 50, well done. We salute you. You (laughs) survived the chart wars of 2001. It's back and it's bigger than ever. Now 50 with the massive number ones from Blue and Westlife. 44 of the biggest hits around with Five and City High. Now 50 with Destiny's Child and the massive number one from Kylie. Huge hits from Afroman, Steps and DJ Otzi. Now 50, that's what I call music. Looking at the track list here, we've got 44 top chart hits, it tells us on the back. This was one of the biggest selling now albums ever. It's astonishing when you look at the numbers. You were saying it, uh, it, it's six times platinum officially. The official sales tally on it is 1.7 million, according to, to Now themselves, oh. which makes it the second biggest seller of all time. As a thing, and remember, obviously, when you and I were buying albums in, uh, and singles in the 80s, single would be, what, 99p to 149, maybe? Yeah. An album you could upgrade, what, about four quid, maybe five are at tops, really. Mm. The now albums on vinyl, double vinyl, when they first started coming out, were 599. Mm. So, again, you're looking at kind of, you know, a very good ratio. If you've got four or five, six great singles, you buy the album instead. That doesn't work so well now, but you can understand why it would do 1.7 million copies, yeah. Just incredible. So a very, very successful pre-Christmas 2001 album. Shall we dive into this track list? Let's do it. It's a brilliant track listing. Very much something for everybody on here, but it is very poptastic now. It is, but you know, a great vibrant time for the charts and i mean you know everything represented from rock to pop to real kind of proper dance bangers there are some themes uh there are some of the tracks there's again as always the sequencing is always brilliant let's kick off with a little known small indie number If you'd have said to somebody in 1988 when I Should Be So Lucky came out that this girl would still be having hits 13 years later and then another 22, 23 years later almost, she'd still be a national treasure and still having 
top 10 singles, which she did oh. recently, obviously, with Padam Padam. People go, you're off your head. I, mean, what oh, are you, what are you I think in 1988, about? you were putting money on the Christians and Climby Fisher, weren't you? Correct. <laughs> yeah. And no disrespect to both of those bands who are obviously brilliant, but you wouldn't have put money on Kylie. This was number one in 40 countries. Was it really? Wow. Extraordinary. I mean, written, as uh, I think most people listening to this probably know, co-written by Kathy Dennis and Rob Davis, the guy who used to be uh, the guitarist in Mud. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathy recently did a very, very good Tracks of My Years for Vernon on Radio too she revealed that the la 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 came to her after a toilet break literally kind of 10 minutes before the end of the session where she was thinking about how do we kind of how do we what's the hook in this we've got this kind of good song this nice groove going but we haven't really got a hook and that's what they came up with within 10 minutes before the end of the session and there it is we're talking about the box. We're talking about, uh, obviously, the videos, the famous video, the iconic video. Do you remember the first time you ever saw it? Because I do. It was a Friday afternoon, and the big story at the time was that Victoria Beckham's Not Such an Innocent Girl was going to go head-to-head with Kylie, and obviously Victoria Beckham was going to win mm. because she'd lost out to Groovejet the year before, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to let that happen this time. Oh. Not Such an Innocent Girl was going to be the song that Victoria Beckham was going to have number one and Kylie would be like lying in the dirt with Can't Get You Out of My Head. So the Victoria Beckham video arrived at the box and we watched it and we went, yeah. The Kylie video came in a couple of days later. At the time, the box office shared an office with Smashes. So you had uh, Hannah, Hannah Verdia and the girls at Smashes. Basically, we used to have this viewing room in the box where we had our playlist meetings. And we used to get these advanced copies. So we put the VHS, still VHS, put the VHS into the uh, video player. We're stood there, so there's me, there's Hannah, there's a few other people from Smash It's. It's kind of the first time we'd really heard the song and the video together, obviously. We hadn't seen the video before. So we're like, oh, this is kind of, this. oh yeah, we're liking that, you know, the kind of red masks and the choreographer, all that kind of thing. Great, great, great. And then it gets to the bit, obviously, where you, the camera pulls away and she's got the silver suit on that's kind of you know cut to the navel. I'm not joking. I still to this day remember the audible gasps in the room. And we just went, <laughs> it was it was literally, it was like, ah, this is number one. This is game over. And that was the point that we just knew a classic was born. The video is now iconic. The song is iconic. It was recently voted by Radio 2 listeners as the, the nation's favourite Kylie song. What can you say about it? It's 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 an absolute classic. In the NME end of year chart, it's at second. Only behind Missy Elliott, get your free ah, cut. But isn't that interesting? And it shows yeah. the absolute power of pop. A track like this crossed all genres. It, crossed it really did. I remember Paul Morley describing it. You know, as kind of one of the one of the greatest pop records of all time and stuff. So yeah, it was very much a um, a, a pop kids uh, favorite. It, it crossed everything. It crossed it crossed radio airplay. It crossed TV. It crossed you know critical and commercial acclaim. It, it it just ticked all of the boxes. You know, and still to this day, when she gets up on stage, performs it, it's adored by millions, isn't it? You know. Is that one of the best ever opening tracks on a new album? I think it probably is. I mean, you know, you could argue You Can't Hurry Love by Phil Collins, the iconic opener on the very first Now album. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 right up there, isn't it? And, and interestingly enough, we were just talking about, you know, Victoria Beckham getting beaten by Groovejet kind of mm. the previous year. Rob Davis also kind of co-wrote. 
approved yet. <laughs> so there we go. Exactly. So he's always popular around at Victoria and David's house, I would imagine. Absolutely. <laughs> a big number one to kick off the album, a big number one to follow that up, Westlife, and the cover of Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Which was Comic Relief, is that right? Is that Comic the- Relief. It was the first Westlife track to appear on the list of a million sellers in the UK, which is... Wow, okay. The 10th best-selling single in Ireland ever. I'd love to see you get on that. That's like that. Thank you, Ian. I love that. Yeah, that's what we're here for. We're here all week. Uh, and you've got that video. You know, talk about Kylie's video. That was a big video as well because you. It had... was huge, huge for us at the box. Yeah, it did massive numbers. It had uh, various uh, actors in it, didn't it? Uh, Robert Bathurst, I think, from Robert Bathurst in it. Crispin Bonham Carter was in it. Tim McHenry. Uh, yes. Will yes. be. And yeah. I'm going to see. I'm going to try and pronounce this. And apologies to all the Welsh listeners out there. Yawan Griffith and the easier pronounced Claudia Schiffer. That must have been absolute meat and veg for the box, a video like that. It was. And, and you know, the great thing was, of course, that, uh, you know, Louis Walsh and, and, and Simon Cowell, interestingly enough, they really, I mean, they, they hugely valued the box because they used it not just as a kind of, uh, you know, promotional tool, but also kind of giving them an insight as to what people were actually responding to and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Simon Sadler and I were very lucky enough kind of the following year to to uh, be invited over into Simon Cowell's office uh, when he was still down at BMG. And, um, you know, he wasn't really a, a, a huge TV star at that point in time. He was only just, you know, it was yeah. only just starting to kind of come through for him. But I remember the time, you know, he sat in the office and he played me the demo version of Gareth Gates's Any One of Us, hmm. which had a different vocal on it because it had been done in Sweden. And I think the guy who'd, or the team who'd written it, and he said, you know, what do you think? Do you like this? Do you think this will work as Gareth's second single? And we were like, that's a great pop song. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. It's like, okay, good. So I've got, I've got your support. Great. Okay. When the video comes, you'll be the first to have it. I'll make sure of that. And I'll make sure you get it before MTV and all this kind of thing. You know, so yeah, it was all this kind of thing. <laughs> Right, let's go to Gerhard Friedel next, uh, which would be DJ Otzi to your granny. And I mean, it's just got a life of its own. Hey, baby. I mean, well, uh, this was uh, the responsibility of a guy called Mike McNally. Now, Mike uh, was at EMI and he was on the promo team there. And he was always looking for curious novelty hits, just as we were. Uh, kind of at the box, you know, our whole sort of thing. We used to absolutely love finding novelty hits Hmm. and turning them into big chart records because we knew that Radio 1 wouldn't touch them. We knew that these were meat and two veg for Woolies. Hmm. We knew that if we could kind of get a steer on these things and get these things away, Hmm. then potentially there's a big hit kind of in the offing. And DJ Oxy was one of them. Mike McNally had uh, the previous year, no, two years earlier, He'd been the guy responsible for everybody loves to wear sunscreen, the um mm. Baz Luhrmann, yeah. uh, number one. And the following <laughs> the following year, he also signed Rick Waller uh, oh. from Pop Idol. Rick's first single was I was all I will always love you. And I remember somebody had said to Mike. <laughs> Rick Waller's the only person who can make I Will Always Love You sound like a threat. (laughs) But yes, uh, so DJ Otzi, Hey Baby, was Mike McNally. I remember going to Dusseldorf in the autumn of 2001. And Mm. um, my best friend, John, who does all the theme music for this podcast, was working out there. And we went across. And I remember us finding ourselves in a bar one evening. And this Schlager music was... was Of course, yeah, yeah. And it was one of these things you go, this this isn't real. This is the kind of thing that would never break in the UK. Eh? We're far too good. Cool. And then within weeks, 
DJ Oxy was number one. Don't you find it sad that these records don't break in the UK anymore, oh, though? I mean, because I think, you know, we had that kind of sort of... Um, uh, in much the same way that Simon Cowell knew what to sign and, and what the public would respond to, uh, we knew kind of the stuff that would work for us on the box. And as soon as Mike McNally presented us with uh, DJ Ossie's Hey Baby, we just went, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is absolute catnip. Oh, do you know, we were talking earlier about those now 70s clips, you know. Yeah. I always like those ones from, is it the Music Laden programme? In yeah, Music Laden. And there's music the Laden. Uh, and they're always yeah. like like a completely disinterested audience just oh, yeah. watching Boney <laughs> M. Ambivalent to watch going on the stage yeah and it's you could almost imagine it with this to be honest but yeah uh, I think um, our friend Gerhard Friedel would have been number one for longer if it hadn't been for Kylie so thank you Kylie because Kylie knocked him off quite quite convincingly we talk about front loading with, with hits this album is absolutely nailing this so you know and and again it's that's down to the sequencing next up Bob the Builder yeah oh, number five with his second number one I was looking up Bob the Builder in my Guinness Set Singles book yeah it always gives a description this is Bob the Builder, UK male silicon puppet building contractor. <laughs> yeah, second number one, 41 combined weeks on the chart between those two Bob the Builder singles. That's extraordinary. The album got to number four on the chart. There's even a duet of Elton John doing Crocodile Rock on the Bob the Builder That's album, right. believe it or not, right. which is extraordinary. Thinking back, I think the BBC missed a trick with the Trumpton Camberwick Green Brigade in the 70s. Mm. Because they were getting rerun in the early 70s when glam rock was at its best. Do you know, mm-hmm. I'd have loved to have seen Wendy Miller doing Blockbuster. Quite sweet. <laughs> they didn't uh, really, the thing is, they didn't really kind of exploit that did properly. No. Did they? It's the, what we forget, again, you know, CD single, pocket money prices, $2.99, $3.99, Hester Power, you know, with the kids kind of going to their parents. I'll get I'll get that Bob the Builder single for you. you know, we'll put this on repeat. So, you know, in much the same way that, you know, kids kind of in the last sort of three or four years, have had Baby Shark on repeat on YouTube or on streaming, Bob yep. the Builder on CD single member number five and Can We Fix It yep. would have been played over and over again to sort of three, four, five-year-olds, basically, yeah. Exactly. And, of course, the wonderful thing about now albums is they represent what was selling. Mm-hmm. It is a complete democracy. And mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing here. Next up is Steps. Just looking here, we've got actually got four cover versions in a row, all be them from different decades but this I've is... never noticed that before yeah you're oh, right yeah. no so you've got Uptown Girl Hey, Ma- hey Baby Mambo number 5 and then Diana Ross's Chain Reaction covered by Steps Miss number 1 Kylie was just batting them all away to be honest so um, the 6th of October the chart was 6th of October so what? that's what uh, sort of 5 weeks before this album came out Kylie yep. was number 1 Steps was number 2 DJ Otzi was number three, so they're all they're all there within the within the first five tracks on this now album. This yeah. is a successful boardroom meeting from the now. It certainly is. <laughs> it was the lead single for the Gold Best of album, and and Gold was the album that they brought out for Christmas, and then they announced on Boxing Day that they were splitting up. Did yeah. they remember that? Damn <laughs> you, Steps! I've put brackets in my notes here. Their first Best of. <laughs> <laughs> first of what four? Aren't they the act who's had number one? with three different best of albums now or something. And I was going to say, you still fast forward to One for Sorrow. Fast forward, listen to me. You still you still search One for Sorrow. Oh, H is going to be blocking me on Twitter. Oh, no, there we go. What you've got to remember is that every Steps video had a dance routine in it of some sorts. And the CD single, you had to buy because it would give you the dance moves. It would tell you how to do the dance moves and the choreography. So 
all matching up, all brilliantly kind of sort of you know, conceived. So it's like you watch the video, you buy the CD single, you learn the dance routine because it's there as, as, as part of the, the, the artwork. And they just have it down to a T. Yeah, perfect package. Now, go back to Michael Crichton's book. Next up is Let's Dance by Five. I'm mm. going to say this just now. I'd forgotten this track. Yes, and, and it never gets played. And no. it's not the David Bowie song. No. It's, uh, it's actually, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly kind of sort of mid-tempo dance plod, really, to be honest with you. Sean had left at that point. Sean, well, yeah. in the video, was a cardboard cutout, isn't he? It's a cardboard cutout, Sean, because he'd left. He was having issues. In yes. this, this is the, this is the start of the whole mental health thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and actually, that you know, the chapter in Michael's book is actually quite quite a serious one because quite moving, yeah, it is. Yeah. And just the whole pressure of the pop scene, and you know, this was starting to kind of see the cracks here because it wasn't too long after this. Again, we talk about steps splitting up five were finishing up by the end of 2001 as well just as a best of album had been put well, yes it was that way back in the day wasn't it you know um this was one that had gone under the radar I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily worth going back and revisiting it's not great it's not one of their best i actually wish it had been the cover of david bowie's let's dance because if it that was, would be great that would be fantastic this run on the album would have just been cover-tastic because next exactly. up is Sophie Ellis-Bexter's cover of Cher's Take Me Home. Yes. Now, I didn't really know the original Cher version no. on this, uh, but it was a big kind of disco hit uh, back in the day, though, yeah? And and obviously Sophie is now the queen of the kitchen disco, yeah. the wonderful Devin Monero producing that show every week yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for Radio 2 and BBC Sounds. Uh, and this was her first solo hit, wasn't it? This was her first yeah. Uh, yeah. under her own name, yeah. yeah. And a great pop, still a great little pop record, actually, yeah. Perfect Gentleman, Wycliffe Sean. This was his ninth top 30 hit. Well, I was going to say, you talk about radio pop quizzes, you know, I would struggle. Um, yeah, me too. I don't have too much to say about this. No, I, it's kind of, it's, uh, what's the, the lyrics of, because she's a dancer, she likes the go-go or something, isn't it? I seem to remember. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> City High. What would you do? This. That's a great little record, actually. Go back and revisit City High. What would you do if you've not heard that for a while? It was top, top three hit. Great top record. Hit. This was one of the two singles. Do you know what? Actually, I thought listening back to this, and it sounded a bit like Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, very much so. Exactly that. That you've hit the nail on the head. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's almost like Will I Am heard this and thought, I went, ah, oh, okay, that's. I, I could do something without for it's that kind yeah. of rap female singer. Yeah, social conscious. Um, yeah, yeah a, a, a huge radio record, massive radio record. That was mm. I mean, Radio One and Commercial were all over that at the time. Again. Just forgotten in the mists of time now, really. It's uh, but despite the fact that it, it was a top three hit with um it was in the top five the same time as Kylie, Usher, You Got It Bad, Steps Chain Reaction, all in the chart at the same time, you know. So now 50s had quite a takeoff. We're at cruising altitude now. We're in the <laughs> middle of CD one. Track ten is blue. No, yes, yeah, so we'll talk about five. Five are maybe slightly moving down the pecking order. Here's blue on the way up. Yeah, this is uh, again a blue song that everyone kind of forgets. I mean, all rise was uh, and still for me one of the great kind of boy band singles of that era, really. I yeah. think All Eyes is just perfect. Good song. Was that a number one or a number two, that record? That was number one. It was the third single. And number one. Okay. Yeah. Three number ones for Blue. Co-written by Lee Brennan from 911. Oh, was it really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, Blue, when you look back, actually, you forget just how hugely successful they were. I mean, it all kind of sort of fell apart when Lee Ryan made his comments on 9-11 and stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah. prior to that, they were absolutely kind of flying, weren't they? You know? Moving on. Yeah, Nelly Furtado. Uh, My preferred Nelly Furtado song 
to uh, the previous, which is what I'm like a bird. I much prefer Turn Off the Light. I just think it's an interesting, quirky kind of sort of song that never gets played. Okay, it's not a patch on Man Eater, obviously, no. but no. Turn Off the Light is is a is a great record, and again. One that's worth kind of going back and revisiting. You never hear it on the radio. It's, it's a great song. Now, right. I'll tell you what's interesting. Bear in mind that now we're still coming out on a cassette. Mm. And if you look at that, we're at track 11 out of 22. So we're at the halfway point. So this is the point where you'd have to turn cassette one over and we yes. go into a whole rock genre next. Let's see it kicking off side two of the cassette, folks. <laughs> <laughs> OPM, Heaven is a Half Pipe. I would say the next one, two, three, four, five, five tracks mm-hmm. were all huge for us at Kerrang! TV. Now, as I was explaining before, Kerrang! TV was just launching. If we could take a song that worked well on Kerrang! TV, mm. could we move it up to the box and take it into a mainstream audience? Mm. What was happening here and what we're finding with OPM and the next run of songs that we've got on this album here mm. are the Kerrang! pop crossover songs. Now, it's interesting because Radio 1 weren't really touching these songs as A-list records. So these guys, these skater guys with this kind of song talking about how much they love their skateboards and how much they love, you know, uh, playing in a half pipe in a skate park, wasn't really a, a Radio 1 record. It was, I think it sat on the C-list, never got higher than the B-list, so we'd be getting maybe a couple of plays a day at most. This was a song that really... Scuzz TV, which was MTV's rock brand, and Kerrang! TV broke to a mass audience. When you speak to people who are now in their kind of sort of uh, mid to late 30s at a lot of record companies, they say to me, you know, kind of, what did you what did you do? What's, what's your background? What have you done previously? And I say, well, I used to be head of music at the box, and I used to be looking after all the other channels like Kerrang! And, all, and it's like, oh, my God, you were looking after Kerrang! TV? When were you looking after Kerrang! TV? And I'd say, well, you know, that that period sort of in the early noughties when you had, you know, your uh, your alien ant farms, your Sun 41s and your Wheatus, and they'd be like, oh, my God, that's like, we used to watch Kerrang! TV or we used to watch Scuzz all the time when we were kind of sort of coming home from school. It was like, that. that's what got me into music. That's what really got me interested in getting a job at this record label or whatever it was. Yeah. And it's it's I, I meet and see so many of those people all the time. So we were trying to take as many of those songs as we possibly could from Kerrang! TV that we knew had commercial appeal uh, and cross them over onto the box. And our criteria was not, is this a great video? Our criteria as radio people, Simon, myself, Mm. always was, is this a great song? And actually, all of these songs that you get in this run coming up, uh, we're going to talk about Heaven is a Half Pipe being the first of them, is Mm. is actually a great song. It's catchy as hell. It sounds great on the radio still. You would never imagine that would be a Radio 2 record 20 years ago. Certainly not the version Um, of Spotify anyway, because... Because yes, well, that's the interesting thing, you know. Kind of, it, it's it's hard now finding these radio-friendly versions uh, unless you get them on compilation albums that, exactly. that we've got at the time. Like it's now fifty, yeah. so yeah. Actually, we always put the, you know, the 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 radio-friendly, family-friendly radio edit on rather yes. than the version that you can now hear. Yeah. Next up is "Bohemian Like You" by the Dundee Warhols. I think I hear my mobile ringing. That means nothing to people. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it was on the Vodafone advert. It uh, was indeed. Yeah. Probably did help it because I think it, it, this was one of these songs that had been released and been released and was released. Yes. 
and eventually was yeah, it. Yeah, oh God, when it hit, it really hit oh, and just yeah. got forever and ever and ever. And of course, didn't they do a remix thing? I seem to remember there was some mashup with, uh, I think, Horny Like a Dandy or something. Was that right? It was Horny Like a Dandy. Horny Like a Dandy, right. yeah. With um, Horny with... by Mr. T and Danny Warhol's... And uh, I'd forgotten Danny. about that. Yeah, th- this was, I suppose, early noughties, real big mashup time. few of them did pop up on Now's, the kind of official ones, so... Yeah, um, well, a lot of the, some of them actually got kind of released and were officially sort of proper singles as well. Eventually, weren't they? What was the big album? The uh, the one that everyone was uh, the too many DJs. That's a great album. If you if if if, if you've never heard that, kids, can you remember? It's you Radio Soulwax presents too, too many, many DJs. Yeah, what a fabulous uh, album that was everywhere. Everybody needs. 10cc and the Destiny's Child and that's it. Ollie Parton and Roy Xop. We, we need it, yeah. them run together. It's yeah, that was it. I forgot. Yes, of course, Bootylicious and uh, yeah, Dreadlock, Dreadlock Holiday. Ah, oh. so let's move on. Um, Smooth Criminal is next, and yes. that's Alien Ant Farm, massive Kerrang and Scuzz TV act that crossed over. Uh, this version bigger hit than Jacko's version, which yep. is extraordinary. Track. 15 comes from the 31st biggest selling Canadian band ever. <laughs> With frontman Derek Wibbly, who married oh. Avril Lavigne, is that right? He did? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, can you have any more of a skater marriage than, <laughs> than that? <laughs> a great song. I mean, it's that it's that pop punk crossover that influenced Busted. Bear in mind, Busted are listening and soaking up all of this stuff right now. Charlie Simpson, James, Matt particularly, I mean, he said in a recent interview, this was what he was obsessed with. That's what they were listening to. That's what they were wanting to ape. That's what they were trying to emulate when they got their record deal. And arguably, Busted then became one of the most influential British bands of the next 10 years because every band that wanted any degree of credibility when it came to doing pop and guitars kind of were aping Busted. But Busted were aping these guys. Busted were aping Sum 41. Busted yeah. were aping Alien Ant Farm. Busted were aping OPM. That's that's where that all came from. But, uh, yeah, a, a fascinating time because back then all of them were top ten songs. All of those songs made the top ten. And it just casts a different shade on 2001 because, you know, we've had that run of real big shiny pop tracks. Mm. And actually, these tracks are big, shiny pop tracks. Every one of the songs. That's, that's, that's the point I was making earlier on. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. When we were putting these videos onto the, the music video channels, we weren't looking at them as like, is this a great video? Yes, the Sum 41 video was a great video. Yes, the Alien App Farm some, uh, Smooth Criminal was a great video. But our criteria was, does this sound great? Is this a great song? They, they, they now, interestingly, I would say, are probably more highly regarded 20 years on than they were back then. Um, mm. as uh, what you say in great pop songs. Yeah. So in autumn of 1988, Erasure got to number four with a little respect. Here's Flash we- forward to 2001. His weight has taken one step higher. Number three, yeah. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, so this was a follow-up to Teenage Dirtbag, which is now just like a perennial. Yeah, Weezus's version is competent. I met Brendan and the guys from the band at that particular point in time. Lovely people, absolutely. I mean, just the nicest people. This is interesting, this record, because I think what it did is now to a 30-something audience it's kind of made a little respect by erasure 
a bigger record than it was at the time, if that makes sense. Yep. So in other words, yes, you never hear Wheatus's version now. Everyone always goes back and listens to the original because yep. actually, yes, it's a great record. Uh, you know, the, the Erasure song is 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 one of their is one of Vince Clark's finest in terms of you know a, a pop record. Mm. Um, and I think yeah. So what Wheatus did there is they just kind of enhanced. Yeah. Raiders version. So anyway, we've got Travis to kind of slightly save the day here. Uh, with Isn't this Sting. Travis's biggest hit? This was Travis's biggest hit to date. First single from the third album, The Invisible Band, catapulted into number three, debuted Pete, dropped. Mm. Which was Yeah, because if you were to say to people, you know, what's Travis's biggest song? They'd say, why is it always rain on me? Yeah, uh, Sing was a huge record. The video, didn't they replicate the video on top of the pops Never. Uh, like a custard pie fight, like Bugsy Malone, I seem to yeah. remember. Yeah, there was a food fight. A food fight, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, a, that's a YouTube search, folks. Go back yes. and have a look at that. That'll be there. The album then swings. The rest of CD2 swings away to a different place. I don't know what that different place is, but it starts with J-Lo. Yes, ain't it um, funny? Which is, again, yeah. functional. <laughs> functional. Take My Breath Away. Okay, so we're at the first solo Spice record. Spice had exploded. They've gone off in their different universes. Yeah. And here's Emma Bunton with Take My Breath Away. Not the Berlin song. But sadly not. <laughs> no, but I don't remember this at all. No. Not a Scooby. This only got to number five, so disaster. <laughs> only number five. <laughs> Big disaster. Can you, imagine, can you imagine now saying, oh, you know, so bit of a flop, sorry, only got to number five. You go, what? Uh, yeah, so this was a second solo hit after What Took You So Long, which I can remember. Yes, uh, it was actually quite, a, a, again, a, a good little record. What's your favourite Emma Bunton solo song? I liked when she went into that, I'm Petula Clark phase. Yeah, I love it. I think Free Me, that was Free great, wasn't it? Free Me was a fantastic song. The look, the aesthetics, the videos, <laughs> the tracks, the product, yeah, totally sold. Go back and revisit some of Emma Bunton's oh, yeah. old, old solo things. Must be, what, so 2003-ish, something like that? Three, yeah, end of three, end of four, something like that, yeah. A great servant to the Now albums is Gabrielle, Don't Need the Sun to Shine, number nine. Oh, crikey. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, Gabrielle... She'd been around, what, at this point for, what, eight years? Uh, I think, was this a best of that at this point, I think, maybe? This was trailing the 2001 Greatest Hits album, yep. 15th UK Top 30 since 1993, so you can't. Oh, that's, yeah, so it's pretty good going, isn't it? She'd always bang, you know, always bang them in the charts every every single time. And again, Gabrielle's lovely as well, if you ever meet her. She's a, a delight. Number four in Portugal. <laughs> this is what we need to know. That's why I love you. So the last time we talked about the Lighthouse family... It was Ocean Drive. This here, uh, boardroom meeting, let's do a cover of the film theme tune. Yes. And let's mash it up with one. Hmm. Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird thing. So yeah, if I wish I knew how I would feel to be free is the dun 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 Light jazz from Barry Norman or Jonathan Ross, depending on which era you used to watch. Well, you see, I said film 93, it was probably film 89, (laughs) it was was film 76, even you know. (laughs) And um, yeah, I I will always love Barry Norman though, because one of his all time favorite films was Gregory's Girl, and of course. Oh. It's everybody's all-time favourite film, oh. quite honestly. So, yeah. Oh, man. Whenever I'm just feeling down, I've got an hour and a half just kind of at home on myself. I'll, I'll put Gregory's Girl on. And it just, it's life-affirming. It's taking me back to when I was 14. It's taking yeah. me back to when I went to see that film at the Odeon Cinema in Newcastle on Pilgrim Street in 1981 when it was the B-movie to Chariots of Fire. 
We digress. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens when you talk about film shows with Barry Norman. You just kind of well, go off. The thing pressure. is, the Lighthouse family are now listening to this podcast going, talk about our song. <laughs> there's nothing to say about it, Paul and There's Dundee nothing. What I will say is, on the CD single, there's a Fats and Small remix of this. Really? Jesus. I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> we finish off CD1 with what, Let's face it, they were tipping for the Christmas number one. They were. I remember, again, when they presented this with a video, this was, again, Mike McNally, who we mentioned before, from uh, yeah. the guy who put DJ Otzi together. He he saw this movie that Kate Winslet was in. I, was, was it, I can't remember if it was a TV film. Or it, was actually... it was called Christmas Carol, The Movie, which is... Yeah. Uh, so she did this song for it called What If? What If? And uh, remarkably, it got to number four in the charts. And mm. it's... Uh, how would you describe it? It's just a very sweet... Christmassy ballad, really, I suppose, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that that about sums it up, to be honest, with an animated can I, video. Can I just tell you, this is a great story. So, um, the first week that I arrive at the box and they give me my own desk, this is 2001, we're sharing the office, as I mentioned before, with Smash Hits. So, they take me into this cupboard where every, they've got all the issues of Smash Hits all bound into leather copies and blah, 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 blah. The year before, I had every single copy of Smash Hits and I was about to move house. And I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to get rid of all of these issues of Smash Hits. I went to a paper bank in Hull, kept the first 25 copies, which I still have, and dumped the rest. So anyway, I'm at the Smash Hits office in 2001, a year later, and I tell this story to Stuart, who's showing me around, and he went, you do realise that we're missing quite a few copies from that early 80s era and I can't believe that you put them into a paper bank and just trashed them. So he then spent the next few months, maybe a couple of years, buying them from uh, magazine sort of sellers and things yeah. that he found on the internet and all this kind of thing. But also in that cupboard was Kate Winslet's Smash Hits Award from 1998 when she was given Best Actress. For the next year, I had Kate Winslet's Smash Hits Award Best Actress for Titanic, 1998, sitting on my desk in the office. This is what people need to know. <laughs> One, I don't know where it is now. I don't know if Kate ever got it. <laughs> she certainly didn't have it in 2001 because it was on my desk in the office at Mapping House. Oh, so wow. <laughs> and most importantly, number one in Belgium. Okay, so CD2 kicks off with... How, how do you pronounce that? I was always told it was I-O. I-I-O. All lowercase. It's a grammatical nightmare. Rapture I-O is a bloody amazing record. It yeah. sounds great in a club. It sounds great on the radio. I don't know anything about that band. I don't know anything about that act. Was it a production group? What, who were they? So I-O were Marcus Moser and Nadia Ali. What's important was this was this period of the big super clubs. This was still when Ministry of Sound was a huge going concern, and this was licensed by Ministry of Sound. So that, that was what that's what was still happening. And this would have turned up on probably about a hundred compilations that year. Oh yeah. If you've not heard Rapture by IO recently, or if you don't know it at all, go and stick it on, go and track it down. It's absolutely brilliant. That hook, that da 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 da. Just as you're singing it with those wonderful tones there. Thank you. <laughs> it actually reminded me of if you set that next to Can't Get You Out of My Head. Yeah, very similar. Very, it's very similar. Good. Hook, hook it's as good. 
yeah, with, yeah. with regards to earworm factor. Um, yeah. It works incredibly well. Great kickoff track. It's quite interesting because, no disrespect to the Now team, but sometimes as you get towards the end of CD2, things start to drift away. That doesn't happen on Now 50. It doesn't at all. The quality, and when you get I, into the final quarter of the album, oh, oh, yeah. it's correct. Yeah. We'll come to that in time. Next up is another big dance track, Superman Lovers and Starlight. Fantastic. That's one of those questions that if it comes up on Popmaster or 10 to the top, name the dance act who had a top three hit in 2001 with Starlight. Yeah. The, the contestant would invariably go, I have absolutely no idea. Yep. And Ken or Vernon would then go, Superman Lovers. Yeah. The contestant would then invariably go, wouldn't have a clue. No, no idea. Sorry. But as <laughs> I'm pressing the buzzer really quickly going, I know. I know. Anyway. That's another story, listeners. Yes. <laughs> so this was uh, this was French. We we know this, and the artist's name was Guillaume Antlan. I've actually written in my notes a bit daft punky because well, it's completely it's completely daft punky. And if someone said to you that is daft punk, you wouldn't bat an eyelid because nope. it's it's done very very much in their kind of style of what they were doing at that point in time. A brilliant brilliant record. And again, as a retro sort of dance, you know, go back and revisit it. Phenomenal record. There's more dance to come. We've got Jamiroquai, Little Ale. Yes, this is uh, written about Denise Van Outen, isn't it? It's the lead single from his album, A Funk Odyssey, which I never actually realised, 2001, A Funk Odyssey. Yeah, you don't, get, you don't get the pun. Oh, I didn't get it. I just only got it, I know. It's an amazing fact that I discovered recently. Uh, Jamiroquai were third only to Oasis at number two and the Spice Girls at number one as the biggest selling act in the world for the entire 90s. My goodness. Biggest British act of the 90s worldwide, third biggest behind Spice Girls and Oasis. So, yeah, Little L was, was his kind of kiss off to uh, Denise Van Outen, who he'd been uh, dating for some time at that point, wasn't it? If you know the Travelling Without Moving album from the 90s by Jim Iroquois, this is just him, just sort of kind of you know, giving you more of the same, really, you know? Yes. Uh-huh. Brilliant live performer, much derided in much the same way that Mick Hucknall is, but boy, can he deliver a live vocal. And it's great to see live, you know. And when he bangs out the hits, unstoppable. I mean, this is actually a, a, a very good little record that, you know, you've probably forgotten over the years. Banger alert, everyone. Bootylicious. The 11th top 30 hit for Destiny's Child. And it only got to number two. British UK buying public. What are you doing? Number two in August. 2001, kept off number one by Eternal Flame by Atomic Kitten. Okay, we'll leave that one aside. So, yeah, Edge of 17, Stevie Nicks. Yeah, which I didn't know when when this song came out. It was, you know, I I think it was better known in America because I think it was a bigger bigger hit in the States. The video came in, it was like, that looks like Stevie Nicks. That's it. Obviously, you watched it on the box, as we all were. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just brilliant. And again, still stands up. You know, fantastic record. Um, But, you know, all right, Destiny's Child has kind of, you know, ingrained themselves as, you know, a a serious chart act, you know. But would you have thought that their singer would still be an icon 22 years later? Beyonce's career is now a quarter of a century old. It's, It's astonishing. She is bringing in a new audience all the time, which is quite remarkable. Yeah. Here's the records you don't hear anymore purple hills <laughs> or pills depending which version you're listening to yeah d12 which was eminem's kind of spin-off it band was, project wasn't it yeah yeah probably a hit due to eminem i think oh yeah no other reason yeah their anthem to hill walking 
<laughs> going up, going up and coming down. Um, <laughs> Purple Hills. Next to that is probably another complete banger produced by Dr. Dre. It's Eve and Gwen Stefani and Let Me Blow Your Mind. Yeah. And again, you know, got the hallmark Dre sound. Arguably, as we talked about before, maybe one of those songs that actually has kind of grown in stature over the last sort of 20 years. You know, it sounds as good today as it did back then. Um, and won the Grammy in 2002 for Best Rap Song Collaboration, mm. which was a new category. It's interesting. <laughs> was this the first thing that Gwen did then kind of that was away from No Ooh. Doubt? Because obviously she hadn't at this point done what you're waiting for and all that kind of stuff. That would be a few more years down the line. I know I may be young. Now, let's go to the Neptunes reinventing Britney. I remember when Toxic came out. Before Toxic came out, Britney was persona non grata. She was like, nobody would touch Britney. It's like, never write off any pop star. You're only one great song away from a renaissance. And it's kind of what happened here sort of three years before that. You listen to it, it's a wonky little record, you know? It's got the kind of hallmark Pharrell kind of weirdness to it. And Mm. and all credit to Britney and her management and the label for kind of going, yeah, that's the kind of direction we want to take her, you hear, you know? Because it, it, it could have been a risk, bearing in mind, everything that she'd done, you know, just two years earlier, uh, where it was pure pop. So, yeah, this stands up well, I think. I'm a slave for you. It's another one of those, when you heard it at the time, it stopped in your tracks. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the same way that Kylie did, the incredibly fickle American audience, (laughs) uh, first single to miss the top 10, only number 27. Wow. Charts. We had, obviously, the huge songs, Baby One More Time, et cetera, et cetera. Now she's gone off into a different thing and she doesn't really fit Mm. top 40 pop radio. She is not black enough for your R&B stations, even though you've got the Pharrell and Chad connection there. So she's just kind of in this limbo land. And that's the problem with a lot of songs from heritage artists, if you want to call them that, Mm. um, at that point in time. Heritage, even though she's only been around for two years, you know, established artists, let's say, yeah, um, that they would find a struggle breaking out of their confines from what they're already known as yeah. uh, when it came to radio. So that's probably why it wasn't a top 20, top 10 hit in America, um, even though it was kind of well received over here. Next up is Mystique. Yes. So One Night Stand, it got to number five. I don't uh, remember it at all. But interestingly enough, you know, obviously Alicia went on to huge national prominence with uh, judging yeah. on you know all the TV talent shows, et cetera, et cetera. Mystique, yeah, were kind of a sort of niche act. They'd always have, you know, they'd always chart in the top 10. And But uh, yeah, I, I don't, you would struggle to recall One Night Stand. They've always got Scandalous. <laughs> oh, it's a great song. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Which is such a big track. Anyway, they did support Shaggy in 2002, so props to them. Uh, what I'd forgotten as well is, uh, and again, I'm, I'm just laughing from my 80s compilation days, they were on Telstar Records. They were. They were indeed. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Family Affair. As you say, we only got to number eight at the time, but over time, this is another Dr. Dre production. This has become such a big song. It's interesting, isn't it? How songs do that. How something that was kind of, you know, you, you take something, let's look at something. Sydney High, What Would You Do, for example, mm. which was the top three hit that we talked about earlier. Marriage Blige, Family Affair, number eight. 
So why has Family Affair by Mary J. Blige stood the test of time and become a radio history favourite, whereas City High, What Would You Do, has just been lost in the midst of time? Yeah. Why is that? It's interesting how these things kind of work in the streaming world that we now live in. That kind of, mm. yeah, I don't know the numbers, but I suspect this is probably Mary J. Blige's most streamed song, is it? I'd imagine so. And and I suppose, you know, again, the passing of time, Mary J. Blige did the halftime show at the Super Bowl yeah. in 2022 and performed this track. So. Right. This is a song, but it was it was a number one in the US charts for six weeks. Really, so, was it? I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So again, US radio must have been all over that record. Uh, yeah. You know, so not just uh, buying it, uh, but yeah, the radio airplay must have been absolutely huge. And you could see why something like Family Affair would mm. work, whereas I'm a Slave for You by Britney wouldn't at radio for yeah. exactly the reasons that we've talked about. Mary J. Blige at that point, uh, you know, a credible. R&B artist Britney dabbling with R&B and trying new producers out. So one of them kind of works, one of them doesn't. Mary J with Dr. Dre, unstoppable. Credit to the Now team, though, absolutely pinning all of these tracks. The sequencing and the consistency across Now 50, with just a few dips into the swamp (laughs) on, on occasions, is really, really high. You know, and that's why 1.7, it's in in 1.7 million homes. In my prep for this show, listeners, I spent quite a lot of time asking Alexa to play tracks that I think even Alexa hadn't heard for a long time. And the first one was Baby Come You didn't put the Now 50 CD into your player? I'm a busy man, Lee. I've got lots of coffee to ask. Um, So, yeah, Baby Come On Over by Samantha Mumber. The only thing I realised, I did know this, because it samples Ladies' Night, or actually she sings... The chorus of "Ladies' Night" by Cool. What Cool the guy? Yeah, yeah. This is your night. Oh, uh, okay. An atomic kitten listening in the background, going, "We can." Oh, that's it. Why don't we get Cool the guy to do we'll our do that again? Well, yeah, interesting. She had lots of big songs, didn't she? Yeah. Lots, lots of big hits. None of which you can recall these days. Nope. Didn't she do a song that sampled Bowie's "Ashes to Ashes" or something? That's, that's the only one. Body to body. Body to body. That was yeah. That was it. Was on. I think it was. No, hang on, it was now forty-seven. Let's just stop for a second and think of a time when David Bowie's estate would license out a sample. Samantha yeah. Mumba's on the phone, David. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. She can, she can have an entire loop of Ashes to Ashes. But, um, yeah, go on. We'll license it. Who's this girl? Mumba. Yeah. Mumba, you Yeah, all right. She had hits? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I've got, I've got, I've got a chance of making some money back here. Then have I? Okay, cool. Well, she's got Cool and the Gang on the phone as well, David. <laughs> <laughs> Put them on hold. There you um, go. Right, so next up is not Liberty X yet. Oh. It's just Liberty. Now, let's get this right. Liberty were the band that formed from the dregs of uh, hearsay? That's harsh. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, arguably, made better records. Is that how they were introduced at parties? This is the dregs from... (laughs) Um, Let's get this right. So so bear in mind, if you don't remember, Hearsay were created on Pop Stars, the ITV show at the start of 2000. The first Mm. show of its kind that kind of showed the... Uh, the Wizard of Oz-esque behind the curtains. This is how the music business works at that point in time. So you've got Hearsay. When it was down to the final 10 before they picked the final five for Hearsay, the other five were the people who then went on and said, okay, well, let's form a band. And they went to Richard Branson's V2 label. And uh, Liberty, But as you say, before they became Liberty X, uh, put this song out called Thinking It Over. 
It's a sort of garage light, really, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, it's, it's I was getting kind of artful Dodger throwbacks. Yeah, yeah, it's got that sort of feel to it. Better things ahead for Liberty X. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, Just a Little, I would argue, is, is one of the great pop songs from any kind of reality band, really, isn't it? So look, that's halfway through CD two. So I'm, I'm guessing that now you'd have to flip the cassette over. And there's a biggie to start off side four of the cassette. <laughs> and, uh, Spice solo number two, first solo proper single, chart war with Kylie, not yep. such an innocent girl. Number six, people jumping out of windows in panic. You know, to go head to head that same week, and as you say, to go in at number six ahead of her. By the way, the other new entries that week were Alien Ant Farm, Smooth Criminal. Shaggy's Love Me, Love Me, which I have no recollection of whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, so Kylie at one, Otzi at two, Ant Farm at three, Bob the Builder at four, what a chart. <laughs> Dear listener, can I, can I now, 22 years on, apologise? Because Otzi, Alien Ant Farm, Bob the Builder were probably all yeah. our responsibility. Yeah. Listeners, listeners, we've got him in his box now. <laughs> we've got him. He is the and he's admitted it. I'm going to throw some numbers at the listeners. First week sales, 35,000 units. Kylie's first week sales, 306,000 units, right? <laughs> oh, my so God. Selling it by about nine to one. This is my favourite, and, you know, th- this is this is T-shirt worthy. It was the, the UK's 163rd best-selling single of 2001. <laughs> You mean you mean there were 162 songs better than that? Better than <laughs> not such an innocent girl, and that isn't too hard to believe. And then Asda, all those Victoria Beckham CD singles, literally falling off the shelf because they're so <laughs> packed in. Um, okay, so Louise, let's do a cover of Steeler's Wheel, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, it's one of those things where you look back and you just think that just appears to be absolutely pointless, doesn't it? All it did, and again, we talked about this before in the same uh, you know, uh, case of Wheatus, a little respect, all it did is just elevate yeah. the love for the original, I guess. You would never hear anybody play Stuck in the Middle with You by Louise on the radio now, but you know, you stick on an oldie station, a 70s station, and yeah, Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel still sounds fantastic. So this... This was functional again, wasn't it? You know, competent, functional, designed for commercial radio at that point in time. So you wait for some Spice Girls and then two come along at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Here's Jerry. Scream if you want to go faster. It's one of those songs, again, you never hear now, but everybody knows the title. Nobody could probably remember how the song and the melody goes or any of the lines and the verses or anything like that. But yeah. Number eight. Number eight, there you go. So it, this is it's, yeah. it's diminishing returns for the solo spices, isn't it? It's like, when are we going to reform? When are we going to yep. reform? Seemingly, uh, Jerry had been round at Robbie Williams' house right. listening to Led Zeppelin, and that inspired Jerry to make this track. Led Zeppelin. like an absolute crock of shit to me, but yeah. Oh, I'm taking it because I've got this vision <laughs> of Robbie Williams and Jerry Halliwell eating a big bowl of skips and drinking cans of Fanta going, Houses of the Holy, I'm having a bit of that, Robbie. Um, it's like, whoa. And then straight down to the studio to to, to make a rock album. And it yeah. came this. Amazing, amazing. Um, right, where are we next? All Stars, Things That Go Bump in the Night. Right. 
Let me tell you a story. All stars were lovely. Uh, one of them, well, I can't remember his name now. Um, Sam, wasn't it? Went off and became an actor, and uh, you know, was in um, mm. I think in Casualty and Hollyoaks. Was in Hollyoaks. Yeah. But um, the reason why I've got a lot of affection for All Stars is that I do you remember when they used to have school disco? Do you remember school disco as a as an idea as a concept? There used to be. Oh a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gone night at uh, uh, Hammersmith Palais. Anyway, I got invited along to school disco, which I've never been, never been before. This night, uh, I'm invited to the uh, Hammersmith Palais to uh, be in the VIP section with all stars uh, at school disco night. So they're all in their school uniforms, and it's it's hilarious. The reason why it's a memorable night is because it's the night of the pop idol final on TV. Mm-hmm. So it's Gareth versus Will, which of course everyone's been talking about. Uh, so I am, um, if, if you want to know where I was on the night that uh, Will beat Gareth in Pop Idol in early 2002, I was at Hammersmith Palais, Palais at School Disco in the VIP area, watching it on a small black and white portable telly with All Stars. And once again, the glamour. <laughs> Would you like some facts? <laughs> I don't have many. Um, this was the third of four top 20 hits. Now, if there was any radio quiz that does three and ten. <laughs> all stars. <laughs> all stars. That's okay. I'll just I'll just take my mug and my bendy bully. I'm fine, thanks. The video was 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 kind of Halloween influenced. So this was yeah. this was basically them was- let's put a single out for Halloween. Uh, with a video that will get played on all the video music channels and we'll have a top 10 hit and job done. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the scariest thing about this Halloween track was the B-side. They did a cover of Is There Something I Should Know by Duran Duran. I implore you listeners, don't <laughs> go looking for it. And the follow-up was Land of Meat Believe by Bucks Fizz. But there we go. So All-Stars, yeah, fun people, actually. Really, really nice people. And Yeah, I, I have no doubt. And again, they were, they were part of the pop machine in 2000. One. And you know, we all know what that was like. So fair play to them. They probably worked incredibly hard on two hours sleep a month. So yeah, yeah well done. Number 12. <laughs> there we go. Right. So we've we said that was a bit swampy. That has been. And well done, listeners, if you've stuck with us <laughs> through some of those epic moments of 2001. But, but we're back. And we're back in, in fact, well, we're not back in 2001. We're back in 1982 or 1994 or 1995. Because that's how many times Entrance has set you free has been released. 92, it came out as a white label. It was then released officially in 94, got to number 39, re released in 1995. And here we see the remix and the re re release. So Entrance. <laughs> Uh, are signed to All Around the World Records and I obviously had just started at the box and I got introduced to these two mavericks if you've ever met Matt and Chris they are the loveliest most generous people and they loved the box because well there's two things I go back to the mid 90s and uh, Joel Ross from JK and Joel was doing a show at Viking, and it was a Sunday afternoon request show. And on any possible occasion that Joe would have a free spin, he would swap one of his songs and play Entrance Set You Free. I remember every time he played Entrance Set You Free on Viking in Hull, that song would just light up the switchboards and people would go crazy for it. So I'm now down in London. I'm now head of music at the box. It's now 2001. And I get introduced to Matt Cadman and Chris Nuttall from all around the world. And they say, we are going to do a remix of Entrance Set You Free. And I say, oh, that will be huge for you because I know that the public, even sort of three years ago, was still responding to that record. And I know that it's still a big, big kind of dance banger. So 
yeah, you'll probably have a, a good chance with that. And they said, well, we've done a remix, so we're going to make a new video for it. I said, look, before you do that, why don't we just put the old original video from 1995 back up on the channel and see how it does? First weekend it went up, it's the number two most requested video. So this video that was shot on Bonfire Night mm. in 1994 in York on a camcorder with Kelly Lorena sticking her head out of the limo. Yeah. So I said to Matt and Chris, I said, look, save yourself 25 grand or whatever you're going to spend on a new video. This video is working absolutely fine for you. And from that point, Matt and Chris and I just became kind of the best mates. It's like, oh my God, you've saved us 25,000 quid. But yeah, that's the story of Entrance Set You Free, the video and it becoming a hit again without them having to do much work. That's actually solved a puzzle for me because I couldn't work out why this track was back out. That's a song that still brings a lot of emotion to people of a certain age. I adore that song. People go absolutely... People, I, I mean, I've, I've been in clubs when people have screamed as soon as they hear the first chords on that. As you say, they're kind of anthems for a generation, really. You know, it's it's it. There's a lot of affection attached to those songs. If you were watching the video music channels in your teens or your twenties, twenty odd years ago, a retro bill of you know Entrance and uh, Ultra Beat and all those kind of people. You yep. know, it's yep. So here's a run that now has no right to have at the end of a CD. It's one, two, three for the next. Four tracks, absolutely, yeah, brilliant. What a sequence. It kicks off with Flawless by The Ones. George Michael took it to number eight in 2004 uh, with Go to the City, Flawless. You know but what the sample is? It's Gary's Gang, Keep On Dancing. On Dancing. Now, again, that's like 78, 79. If you don't know that song, yeah. you don't Keep On Dancing by Gary's Gang, they literally just took that sample and just turned it into this big, big dance record for 2001. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a brilliant record, but yeah, I mean, it owes a lot to that Gary's Gang original. Oh, yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. And we've mentioned Daft Punk a, a few times. They finally make a, an appearance here. Um, I have to say, probably, I listened to the Discovery album by Daft Punk probably more than any other album in that 2000-2001 time. Um, and Digital Love is a great track. Yeah, but I mean, again, this is Ashley you know, really sort of thinking, okay, I want to put a great, it's almost like he's putting a mixtape together where one oh, track yeah. into the next because he knows that he wants to, this is for a, this is for a party crowd. If you're buying this CD for your Christmas party. I'm going to give you the big, some big party club hits of the year all sequenced in there nicely. Yeah. And another big album for me that year was Goodbye Country, Hello Nightclub, which was Groove Armada's second album. And mm. this is super styling. Now this is a song you don't hear. Enough. No, and you should because it's right. just because you've got that kind of Jamaican sort of reggae sort of yeah. vibe to it, but then it just kind of kicks in when they, you know when it's going uh, when you get the drop and then the, mm. um, yeah. oh it's phenomenal yeah, yeah I mean and, and it's funny because I mean Groove Armada you know never really had any huge hits when you look at their sort of chart career and stuff yeah. I mean at the river is probably the one that's big because it's obviously it gets used as a, a bit of background and you hear it on the M and S adverts and all that kind of thing you know. <laughs> But yeah, super styling is just a great kind of blend of of, of well, exactly that super styles basically kind yeah. of sort of together. Yeah, yeah. A hard sort of dance floor edge mixed with a kind of Jamaican dance hall sort of vibe. Brilliant. And then this track, two people by Jean Jacques Smoothie, <laughs> which, which again uses that big mini Ripperton sample. Yeah. 75s inside my love, but this again has that wonderful kind of. It, it's almost a like a time capsule of 2001. Yeah, Jean-Jacques Smoothie, Two People, is a 
lovely, lovely song and, and just kind of works. Yeah, as you say, it's, it's part of this whole sort of time capsule of what was going on. But yeah, for the people that were clubbing at that point in time, you would know this song inside out. You would have heard it everywhere. Yeah, brilliant. Um, 21 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Solid crew. I, again, I remember the day the video came into the box when uh, the guys from Relentless, uh, Shabs, you know, the team there, brought this in for the first time and yeah. played and said, okay, so what you've got to understand here is there are there's this big crew and they're huge in London and everybody knows them and what this song does, it gives each of them 21 seconds to do their thing. You've got, you know, Romeo doing his 21 seconds. You've got Oxide and Neutrino doing their bit. You've got, you know, uh, Lisa Mafia doing her bit. But yeah, straight in at number one. It's no surprise now 50 was such a big seller at the time. Well, look at the sequence. I mean, I, I was telling you just before we started how Ashley said to me once that, you know, when people were looking and buying a compilation album, look at what the first five tracks are, their eyes would then scan down to the final few tracks and then they'd look at what the first track was on CD2 and yeah. if they're all recognisable to a large percentage of people, that would be the impulse buy for them to stick it in a basket in Asda. We started with Kylie, Westlife, DJ Otzi, Bob the Builder, all number one songs. Mm. We're finishing CD2 with a number one song and then another number one song after that. I love that. It's almost like an equation. It's like a math equation. I mean, it's, there was an art to it. There's a proper art to it. You know, people, when you put together a playlist on, on Spotify now, I like these 18 songs. There's mm. no real thought gone into it. It's just kind of like, what am I into? This has been meticulously thought out. So we finish off Now 50, second biggest selling Now album of all time, with American rapper, singer, songwriter, political candidate and comedian, Afro Man. Because I got high... People loved anything that was a little bit, a little bit controversial, a little bit edge, you know. So there he is in, yeah. the, in the video, smoking his, you know, smoking his uh, uh, weed. And <laughs> uh, interesting record because there's nothing to it really. It's just a, a minute drum machine and him sort of singing over the top of it, isn't it? But yeah. the remarkable thing is, he did have a second top ten hit. He did, he did, and it was called Crazy Rap. Crazy Rap. This was the tenth biggest selling single of the year. UK buying public much much more than Victoria Beckham um, 153 <laughs> places more than Victoria Beckham if, if you bought the CD single the other tracks that featured on it was the track called Let's All Get Drunk and Back on the Bus again doesn't trouble radio programming very much but uh, yeah because I got high Afro Man is um, closing uh, you know that's the 44th track on there so uh to close with a couple of number ones. Yeah. And it's a brilliant, as you say, a brilliant snapshot of summer and autumn 2001, really, isn't it? What's interesting at, at the moment is the Now team are revisiting those millennium years through their latest yearbooks, uh, the millennium yearbooks. And looking at the one that came out for 2000, 2001, it's fascinating to see how many of these tracks are still there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the, the CD now. So CD3 for two, 2001 and now Millennium. You've got uh, Britney that we talked about. You've got yep. even Gwen Stefani, Mary J. Blige, Take Me Home, Sophie's on there as well. Five Let's Dance is on there as well. Yeah. Oh, so, so yeah. Uh, but also there's a few that uh, kind of slipped through the net that weren't on now albums at the time as well. Like, um, where's that O-Town track? Where's it gone? Uh, Liquid yeah. Dreams. But you've also got things like Crazy Town Butterfly, which would have fitted quite nicely on here. And things like um, Get Your Freak On, Elton John, I Want Love. That. That's an interesting one. Because Yeah, I remember the video for that. Again, uh, that was the point where Elton said, I'm not I'm not appearing in any of your videos. Uh, yeah. well, why don't we get Robert Downey Judio to just lip sync for me? We went, yeah. 
just so weird to see Robert Downey Jr. You know, miming the words yeah. in the video. But yeah. Elton did that a few on his videos. Didn't he get Justin Timberlake in to do... Um, yeah, This Chain Don't Stop Anymore. One of Elton's best songs of the last sort of 20 years. I think it's just... Classic. It's such an underrated song, that record. And yeah. seeing Justin Timberlake in the video telling Elton's kind of life story backstage at gigs in yeah. the 70s is, is... If you've never seen that Justin Timberlake video... Uh, for Elton John's This Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore. Go and have a look on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Search for that before you search for All Stars. Is there something I should know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you could pick just a handful of tracks off this, what would you take? Personal favourites or kind of snapshot, what would I Well, take? let's let's do snapshots of 2001 first. Okay, well, the, the, obviously, you know, if you, want, if you want 2001 in a absolute snapshot... Can't get you out of my head. Mambo Number no. Five by Bob the Builder and <laughs> Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm would be the three. Oh, and probably Superman Lover Starlight. So there's your pop, there's your novelty, there's your rock, there's your dance, all crossover hits. Personally, my favorite songs on the album, I would I think my favorite song on the album would probably be Rapture by Aya, just for the reasons that we talked before, just about it being one of those great dance records that I don't think has aged at all. I just think it's a phenomenal song. Yeah, for me, it's just a, a double A side of Afro Man and Kate Winslet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, do you know what? Actually, it's it's one of the the rare occasions when now sequencing absolutely nails three tracks for me, and it would be The Flaws and Daft Punk and Groove Armada, because yeah. those three tracks take me back to such a happy place. I was going to say, if that's your world, if that's, if that's your kind of clubbing world at that point mm -hmm. in time, then absolutely you would have heard those three songs, and yeah, and, and yeah it would be happy memories all around. Lee, thank you so much for taking us back to Now 50, 2001, and a dazzling galaxy of poptastic wonder. What a brilliant set of songs, though, you know, and again, as a snapshot of an amazing year in pop that I probably didn't appreciate fully at the time because I was so immersed in it. It's only kind of when you look back and you kind of go, you know what, actually, 2001, what a brilliant year, had everything, rock, pop, novelty, huge dance records, just some brilliant, brilliant tunes that actually have stood the test of time. And if anything in some cases, sound even better now than they did back then. And the search is on for a missing pile of smash hits and Kate Winslet's missing smash hits award. If you were delving around in a paper bank in Hull in 2000 and retrieved all the smash hits, literally every single issue from mid-1980 to mid-2000, so you'd have 20 years' worth of smash hits there, uh, if you have those... Good luck to you. You've probably, you've probably scanned them all and they're all on the internet now. Um, but yeah, I don't know what happened to Kate's uh, Smash It's Award, if anybody's located. Did Kate ever get it? Did Kate ever receive her Smash It's Award from 1998 for her best actress gong in Titanic? Please let me know. And they always say, leave the listeners wanting more. I think we've done that. Lee, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thank you, as ever. <laughs> <laughs> 